the podcast because we've signed another player. So this is, uh, once again, Dragon Soulcast. This is Scott, still reporting from Okinawa, at least for the next week. And, um, yeah, it's big news. We've got un- gotten ourselves an actual real-life slugger. We haven't had one of those since Alex Guerrero and uh, Dan Viciata before that. Um, it's a bit to talk about with this uh, signing, a bit this move. I did actually uh, mention this in my previous podcast that this was a possibility, and lo and behold, it has happened. So we have signed Aristides Aquino, previously of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, big slugger who has a strong arm from outfield. Um, he'll probably slot straight into left field with the Dragons. There's, um, yeah, and we've paid a lot for him too. So um, where can we start? So obviously. Uh, the Dragons have already signed two foreign players in uh, Orlando Calixte and Zoilo Amonte. But with both of these guys taking about, I guess on the current exchange rate, about three, about 250k each, something like that. Um, the uh, Dragons have actually then got a little bit of room to move with the rest of their roster. So I think what they've done is they've perhaps loosened up a little bit of money somewhere, but then they've gone out and signed Aristides Aquino for 1.2 million uh, US dollars. Or uh, was it Ichiten Nanaoku Eng? Um, which don't get me to break that down. I'm not sure how much that is in English, but anyway, it's it's generally quite a lot because the um, 1.2 million on the side of the US is sort of normal for a for the Dragons to offer a player of Aquino's um, stature. Like this happened with Guerrero, and it happened with uh, Dan Vicioto before him. So that sort of 1.1, 1.2 million dollar range. Um, but on the dragon side, uh, one point seven Oku is uh, pretty big, pretty big money, and I think that's more than what they gave Guerrero and um, Viciedo when they first came over. So they obviously hopes are high, and um, the worst case scenario, you know, it doesn't work out. <laughs> we, you know, you you shot for the stars and you you failed. So one thing I'm really I really like about this particular signing is that this is a show of intent. This is the first time we have seen a big-name slugger come to the team in a long time. It's been six years or something, hasn't it? Um, I think Guerrero was signed in 2016 or 2017, and we haven't had a big-name slugger since him or since he signed with the team those many years ago now. And obviously he only lasted one year, so it was sort of short-lived. But it's yeah, this is, this is really exciting. Um, it's showing that the front office is willing to go all in. And it's also filling up pretty much all the the spots that the Dragons needed to fill in this off season. Um, whether you can judge the quality of the options, of course, and I think there'll be more discussion to be had over that in the future. But overall, the team's been turned around, reshaped, and now is being added to with um, some really interesting additions. So, Aristides Aquino will be the third Dominican to join the team this season, along with Almonte and Calixte. And I can't help but feeling Almonte has been signed not only as a backup to uh, eh, to Aquino in case he doesn't quite perform at expectation, particularly to start off with, but I also think he might be there as a mentor to help Aquino through uh, adjusting to the NPB. Um, obviously, Aquino is probably most well known for his time in the Reds for a very short period of time where he was a god, and I think he hit seven home runs in 10 games or something like that, and then has just fallen into a giant heap and has not really made much of himself since that sort of initial um, explosion onto the scene. But uh, I think many would probably see him as one of those three outcome players where you either strikes out, walks, or 
hits a home run. Um, and I think the numbers sort of reflect that. And that's something that we have to be wary of uh, going into uh, his NPV debut. Um, so one, why well, I think what we can look into with the signing is, well, as I say, it, to me, it's a, it's just a big signing of intent. I think this sort of again lowers it, it improves the floor of the team, and it's going to improve the ceiling as well. Because if Akino can really get going, he's going to hit 30 home runs a season, I think. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's going to be interesting to see how he goes and how he develops. He's only 28, so he's got another few good years left in him. My only hope is that we can keep him if he actually does have a good year because he's only on a one-year contract. And um, he's going to have to like it here, otherwise he might pull a Guerrero and uh, end up somewhere else that has more money. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. So um, basically what we what I want to do, I thought what would be an interesting exercise is to sort of look into how Akino would um, compare to Alex Cordero. I, I feel as though the two are similar in some ways in sort of player profile. And I, I also thought both of them having, you know, at least short-ish MLB careers, that there's going to be some statistics I can look into on fan graphs and stat cast and all that sort of thing that can sort of back up um, some assumptions we could try to make about uh, about the two. I thought having Guerrero as comparison is quite useful, seeing as how he was a success in Japan and obviously a success with the Dragons. Um, one thing we do need to be wary about sort of uh, comparing these two is that they did play at different, they do play the majority of their careers in the MLB at separate stadiums and Aquino played a lot more in the MLB than Guerrero did in the end. So those familiar with the MLB will know that this, the uh, the stadium in Cincinnati is quite small and it's very home run friendly, whereas in I think the Dodgers stadium is a little less so. I unfortunately don't know as much about the Dodgers stadium, but I, I feel as though it's not quite as home run friendly as the the Reds, uh, the Reds uh, park. So... Anyway, what I will I'd like to go into is just some stats where I feel as though there's a bit of interest here. Um, from what I can see from Aquino to begin with, he's very much a flyball hitter, which will be interesting to see how that plays out in the Nagoya and sorry in the Vandalin Dome. I'm not sure if this is going to be sort of a plus or a minus for him. Obviously, a lot more flyballs get gobbled up in the outfield in the Nagoya Dome, but in saying that, you know, you've got to hit the ball in the air in order for to go for a home run. Anyway. So looking at home runs versus fly balls, uh, in the MLB, Guerrero had a 16.9% uh, success rate of fly ball turning into a home run. Um, he also hit sort of less, fewer fly, fewer fly balls in general, but um, he also had a lot more sort of medium to hard contact than Aquino has. So Aquino has more hard percentage hit contact or it's, well actually it's roughly, roughly the same over the course of their career but sort of more soft contact as well but anyway his home run to fly ball conversion rate is 20.9 percent which i think is significant again this may have been helped by the smaller park in cincinnati but this also i think is it's a, a significant increment on top of guerrero so it's about an extra four it is an extra four percent better than guerrero's uh, success rate when he was in the mlb so this is something that's interesting that i think We'll look at and um, you know if this you know particularly when the dragons visit other parks where it's a little bit more homer and friendly 
this is going to be, this is really going to take, uh, really come into play. Um, in terms of the hard hit percentage, it's basically the same. But as I just mentioned, um, the sort of soft to medium, the soft hit percentage is much higher on Aquino's uh, side. But um, yeah, Guerrero's got sort of more medium um, hard hit percentage. So Guerrero sat at 32.2% at his time with the Dodgers and Aquino's at 32.4%. So it's very similar in that regard. So I think we can expect... Um, I guess in terms of power, they're, they're going to be very similar. And I, I sort of looked a little bit at isolated power statistics as well, and then they're not too much different. If I have a quick look, I didn't actually note this but because I didn't think it was particularly um, statistically important. But we'll have a look at me. So over the ML, over Guerrero's, uh, oh, sorry, uh, over Aquino's MLB, MLB career, he had a 0.223 ISO. Whereas our friend Guerrero had a 0 0.190 uh, ISO. So just based on pure power statistics, um, Aquino is slightly better. But again, we need to understand that the uh, the sample size between the two is a little bit different because the uh, I think, yeah, so Guerrero played about 112 games in MLB and Aquino played, I think, quite a few more. Um yeah, 244 games. So it's uh, a little bit difficult to compare, but it's because uh, Aquino played twice the amount of games. But anyway, we're, we're going to try. That's why we're here. So, yeah, basically the, the the isolated power statistics are very much Aquino's favour and 0.22 something I think is fairly, fairly decent. Um, I otherwise looked at some of the, the Z-swing, Z-contact statistics, and I thought this was kind of interesting. So Z-swing is when it measures the percentage of balls hit within the zone or swung, swung on within the zone. That's what Z-swing is. So it's, it's you know, if when the ball's entering the strike zone, do they have a swing at it or not? And if we sort of look at um, Arcanon Guerrero, I think Guerrero has slightly better discipline in that regard at 77.4% Z-swing and Aquino's at 75.8%. But in saying that, it's not... I don't think it's a particularly huge difference in terms of them uh, identifying pitches and sort of leaving stuff as well. Um, again, I didn't make note of this because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so outside the zone, Aquinol swings at about 38.5% of balls, whereas, again, I, there's, there's just not as much data, but... Um, Guerrero swang at 42.1% of uh, all balls outside the zone. So you could argue that Arcanor's uh, discipline is a little bit better in that regard. Right, you know. Um, but uh, we sort of contact, we, you know, one one thing is swinging at it and one thing is connecting with it. So in terms of Z contact, uh, so Guerrero was much better at actually getting contact on balls in the zone at 84.9%. And whereas Aquino is at seventy-seven percent, so it's possible you know he's going to he's going to whiff at stuff inside the zone a little bit more often than Guerrero does or did. So now this, I think th these are all sort of important parts, and I, I, I they don't obviously make up a, a big picture, but I think 
having a, a player that has good plate discipline is going to succeed in the well, basically at any level of baseball, but particularly in the ML, in the NPB. And it also has to really depend on pitch identification as well, and that may take some time for Aquino to get used to. But in terms of um, sort of off-speed pitches and um, how both of these guys did against them, so to set the the bar, Guerrero was average during his MLB career. This is sorry. He was average against fastballs and fairly good against off-speed. If you look at his um, stats against off-speed, his, uh, his value against each pitch, and it's quite quite high-ish. But again, um, the you might, we, we have to take this with a, a little bit of um, skepticism, seeing as how this is sort of only a small sample. But um, if we look at his overall numbers, he actually has... Uh, you know, 1.2 runs above average on the slider, 1.2 run, 1.4 runs above average on the changeup, and not too bad against splitters, and a 0.79 against, uh, yeah, against slider. Sorry, that's per hundred pitches. But um, yeah, so you can looking at his sort of values against uh, these certain different pitches, he's actually succeeded more against off-speed pitches than he has against fastball pitches. Now, if we look at Arcano, it's a little bit different, but also a little bit similar, um, <laughs> just to make it confusing. But it's sort of each season that Arcano has been in the MLB, it's sort of changed a little bit. It's not like he was super dominant against fastballs and change-ups and stuff at the same time. It sort of seems to have changed. I think overall throughout his career, I think he has been stronger against fastballs, but we can have a look um, at those overall numbers. But it's interesting, like in his 2019 season, he was mashing sliders and mashing change-ups and even mashing curveballs. Like that was sort of his MO in the 2019 season, but still getting reasonable value off um off the fastball, but just not quite as much. He was still, but he was getting absolutely destroyed by splitters. Um, as we sort of get further in, like in 2020, he's very good against fastballs, but then sort of sucks against everything else. Um, although still sort of average against sliders, but everything else has been a li little bit more damaging. 2021, he's still very good against fastballs. But everything else is sort of dropping off. So a bit above average, a bit of sorry, a bit below average on cutters, and a little bit below average on change-ups. And then everything else is probably lower than it should be. Again, with the splitter being quite damaging. And then his final season, it's he's gotten worse against basically everything. He's gotten better against uh, the sinker. Um, it's almost as though you know he's really tried to work on hitting a sinker although he may not have just seen the pitch very often. And then the change-up slider and curveball is now sort of a little bit more, you know, uh, a little bit more even now. So it's it's interesting sort of seeing there sort of the waves of his um, pitch. It also may depend on how many, what pitches the uh, teams are throwing him at the time. I'm just really looking at how he's hitting them without going into too much detail otherwise. You can have a look at his Fangraphs page if you want to get a bit more detail about this. I'm just sort of picking out stats that um, might help him uh, with the NPB. But if you look at his overall stats in the MLB, 
He's above average against fastballs, terrible against splitters, um, <laughs> not great against cutters, weak against sinkers, but still not too bad, a little bit below average on change-ups, a bit above average on slider, and a bit above average on curveballs. So to be honest, it's it's very much a mixed bag, and I think he's likely the type that's going to do quite well against the fastball, particularly when it's at a lower velocity in the MLB, oh, sorry, in the NPB. But um, there seems to at least be some potential there for him to go after off-speed pitches as well. Um, and I think this, this is really important and something that's often stated by, you know, um, followers of the NPB. If you cannot hit um, good, you know, good, you can't hit breaking balls and off-speed pitches, you're not going to succeed in the NPB. And I don't think there's enough here to rule out Aquino as a decent hitter of off-speed pitches. Um, and if, as I say, if you sort of compare it to Guerrero, it's not, again, Guerrero's, what do I want to call it, his, um, doesn't have as many plate appearances and he hasn't faced as many pitches, but it reads kind of similarly. Like, Guerrero was really good against, fairly good against sliders, fairly good against change-ups, and very good against splitters. But everything else is sort of meh, a bit, a bit below average. Um, so with these, with that sort of thing in mind, it's Aquinol's almost a little bit more better rounded in that regard. But I think the the huge weakness for him is going to be the split, the split finger fastball. If he doesn't um, learn how to leave it, um, I think that's going to be a big problem for him in Japan. And I think particularly, if, you know, if we're talking splitters like just your normal splitter as well as a fork ball and that sort of stuff. And the fork ball, we'll see a lot of. In Japan, so I'm interested to see how he will go against that. He's going to need help identifying those pitches to stop whiffing on them. Um, but overall, I think there's enough here for us to, or even the, the you know, for us to not have to criticize the front office too much for pursuing someone like Aquino because he has shown an ability to hit off-speed pitches. So I think there's enough here to foster some belief that Aquino will be a good player. Um, so that that's sort of my argument here, but um, yeah, overall, it's I'm excited as a fan to see Aquino, and I think he, you know, even from a more analytical point of view, like how I've presented now, um, it's you know, it's not it's not the worst in the world. There's definitely something there, and I'm excited to see what that something might be. Um, yes. But anyway, and the, I guess the other plus thing about uh, Aquino is that um, his defensive value is quite high as well. Not only is he a good, you know, theoretically going to be a decent hitter, he's also an excellent, um, an excellent fielder. And I think that's actually where a lot of his values come from uh, in 2022, for example, where he didn't hit particularly well, but um, defensively he was quite valuable. Um, yeah, so I think... If this is correct, this is on fan graphs. It's saying that def defensively, your fielding and position positional adjustment combined, he's 7.4 above average, which is quite, I would think, quite high. He only had a 0 0.7 war. Uh, but yeah, his offensive um, batting and base running combined is 
10.4 points below average. So you can see that the defense has really helped him uh, have some value in uh, 2022. And even in previous years, it's been sort of above average. His uh, 2019 season as well, where he was an above average fielder, but also a much, a significantly good, better hitter as well. He hit 19 home runs that season. Um, but yeah, if we just sort of look at his raw stats, I mean, this season didn't go so well, but still hit 10 home runs. Uh, but, you know, only a 400, was it? Oh, crap. A really bad OP, OPB. Um, oh, that's weird. Hmm. Damn you, Fangraphs. You don't include OPS. Yeah. Oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> there it is. He only had a 609 OPS this year, but in AAA this year, didn't play too many games, but had a 1.108 OPS. And I think at AAA, he's, true, he's proven he can dominate there. And I think that's also a good sign. So I think he's definitely one of these quadruple A players that you'd um, you commonly see come to the NPB, and I think he has the potential to do quite well. So in terms of the overall team arrangement, um, it's interesting that Tatsunami has actually come out saying that uh, Viciato is not necessarily guaranteed a position next year. Although I don't know who'd play first base instead of him, um, unless they're planning to plop Aquino on first base, which would be weird, but possible. Um, yeah, there's no sort of guarantee that, you know, that's what he's saying anyway. But, um, yeah, it's he'll probably fit into left field and you'll probably see maybe even Viciato in the, in the hole in three and then Aquino at four and, you know, so on, which could be interesting. Or you could see Aquino at four and Viciato at five maybe. Um it sort of it just adds an extra like uh danger to the middle of the order. Like even we saw it a little bit this year with uh Ariel Martinez and uh Dan Viciota playing in the in the same team. It's sort of just you know, it's one extra hurdle that teams pitchers have to overcome in order to get through the order. And we just haven't had that in previous years because it's all been pretty easy outs the whole way through, um, or maybe after the first two or three hitters. Because, I mean, there was a time when we had, what, like, Oshima, Kyoda, Abe, Viciedo, maybe Shuhei, and, you know, and whatever after that. And, you know, the fact that Abe is your number three hitter is not a particularly great thing. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have the power to really hit very hard and he's just not that sort of that inspiring to uh, build an order around. Whereas I feel now with Aquino and um, uh, Viciedo, for example, and if we get Ishikawa in there, there's it's kind of exciting. It is actually very exciting. So if I was to have a look at my little cheat sheet here about uh, depth and all that sort of stuff, I reckon we could have... I mean, this this sort of moves things around a little bit. I think um, Aquino can pr probably play right field as well, um, which is probably going to add to his value. I think, um, although I'll just double check that now that I say that, because if he's never played right field in MLB, he's probably not going to be able to do it in NPB. Excuse me. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. 
Yeah. Okay. So he's played a lot of outfield, played a lot of right field. Yeah. So mostly at MLB level, he's been playing center field or right field, um, a little bit of left field as well, um, but mostly right field by the looks of it. So that's encouraging. So what this means is that you could theoretically have Ukai or El Monte in left. You could have Okabayashi in center and Aquino in right. Or this allows you to move Oshima to left field, Okabayashi in the center, and then Aquino in right field. I think that's an interesting... You can fiddle with that a little bit, and that's going to be quite good, um, trying to fit Oshima into the lineup rather than... Um, you know, squeezing someone out. So getting someone who can play right field is probably an excellent uh, choice. So maybe what we'll have is, well, I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to real, real fiddle with this now. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite, it's, it's really weird how much it's changed the team. Um, like, yeah, the, the outlook, I, I personally think Oshima is basically now a left fielder and we have to treat him as such. Um, but yeah, it's basically, this means that everyone sort of moves down a, uh, a slot, a slot, yeah, a slot. So, sorry, I'm just sort of fiddling with my little, uh, uh, thing in front of me here, but basically this moves everyone down a notch and guys like Bright and, you know, Miyoshi and, these kind of guys are sort of not really as high up the list as they were before. So I don't know. This is changing what the opening day lineup may look like too. And well, at least the best lineup is sort of looks a lot more dangerous. So I don't know. Maybe we can have let's, let's, while we're um, doing this on the fly, we can have Oshima still leading off. That's fine. I think we can still have Okabayashi behind him. That's fine too. Number three hitter becomes a bit of a question. I think four is similar. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, you could have number three. We, we could just put Aquino in there. Viciota behind him. And then we could have uh, Ishikawa at five. And number six, what do you have there? Maybe... Good question. <laughs> number six, maybe you put in, uh, let's say, Kinoshita. Or, no, you put, probably put in Shuhei. And then you have Kinoshita at maybe number seven. And then whoever your shortstop is, probably at this stage, I'd say Tsuchida is the most likely. And that's looking like a team, isn't it? <clears throat> so that's that's kind of the interesting part. That it just sort of loosens up the order a lot and just makes it look a little bit more dangerous. Now from instead of like one to four, you're going, yeah, it might be all right. You're looking at one to six or even one to seven and going, well, this is actually a pre pretty decent lineup now. Um, so adding someone like of Aquino's potential really shakes up the order. You know, if Ishikawa is healthy and, you know, Viciato still produces, you know, at, a, at his general rate, and then you have Oshima and Okabayashi still doing their thing, this could be a really strong team. Um, the team's biggest issue has always been knocking in RBIs. And if Aquino can uh, do that in, you know, a few foul sweeps, that will help the team immensely. <clears throat> and, you know, Ishikawa's health, obviously, is going to be a big thing as well. And Shuhei, you know, if he can come back as, let's say, a slightly lighter but still able to swing the bat sort of kind of in middle infielder, 
that would be a big help for the team too. But then again, we can we may see Muramatsu or Tanaka or whoever end up at second base, and that's sort of okay as well. But it's it, the team sort of moving in a way where you can change it and you can mould it a little bit to play different styles of baseball even. Like instead of, say, you could have Aquino in right field, Almonte in left field, and then... Um, you know that that could look really, really silly, couldn't it? You could then have um, you know Oshima's out, and you put Okabayashi at the top, and then you put in you know Muramatsu or whoever, or you know not even that. You could just put in someone great, like you could put in El Monte at number two, then Aquino three, Vichiedo four, Ishikawa five, and how, how that that's that's exciting, isn't it? And not to mention when we do interleague, we're gonna have a DH. And then we can throw in Ukai, we can throw in um, Almonte, we can throw in whoever to really shake up the team. So I don't know, this. I'm seeing a lot more possibilities now. Like previously, I thought there weren't a whole lot of dimensions. There were sort of, you know, outright good players and you want to play them all the time. But now I feel as though, there's again, this is sort of what I've talked in the past about sort of an illusion of depth. But it also means that you can sort of, chop and change a little bit to play a slightly different style of, or if you really just want to, you know, line up the power hitters, you kind of can now. There are options now, whereas in the past there really wasn't. It's really only shortstop and second base where you could say we don't really have anyone of great power, although theoretically you could throw in Calixte into second base and he offers you a little bit of power, but obviously you can't fit four foreigners into your lineup, but um, not not that you would either, considering two of our best pitchers are foreigners as well. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting how many options this has opened up. And as I say, I think Aquino's acquisition allows Okabayashi to play center field full time, and allows Oshima to play left field most of the time. And then you can cycle through, you know, younger players or Almonte or whoever you want to sort of take over at left field. And obviously, if Aquino doesn't really work out in right field, you can sort of move it all around again. But, you know, it'd be kind of exciting towards the end of the season to see an outfield of Aquino, Okabayashi and Ukai, followed by Ishikawa, uh, Viciedo, Shuhei in the middle field, middle infield. And then, you know, hopefully one of your catches is hitting properly like Kinoshita or Ishibashi. I don't really care which one. Um that would be, you know, there's, as I say, I'm seeing a lot more potential. It's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a fan. And obviously, <laughs> when they're not playing, it's easy to build that excitement because, um, you know, it's not, um, we don't know what's going to happen yet. But the potential there is exciting. And that's that's something that hasn't happened for quite some time. I mean, what did we have last year? We didn't sign anyone. We didn't sign any foreign players. We just had the draftees, which is great. That's fine. And that's it. We didn't have anyone else. And, you know, that's sort of a very dour way to begin a season. It's sort of, oh, well, whatevs. And uh, I think throughout the season, many commentators were saying, well, look, the Dragons are just a really good, um, you know, international bat away from doing really well. They're one international bat away from uh, challenging. And I think the pieces are really starting to come together now. I could be completely overstating this, and forgive me if I am, but it's, sorry, it's just the excitement as a fan that's probably getting to me a little bit here. But for once, for the first time in a while, I'm seeing potential. 
um, particularly with the hitting side of things. I think we can say to, with a, a relative degree of certainty the pitching is pretty good. Um, I don't think there's needs to be any massive change there. Adding Sonata was sort of the final piece to um, sort of rounding out the bullpen. Adding Wakowiz was sort of like a, I don't know, a bit of a, a vanity addition, I think. We didn't really need him, but we got him anyway. And, you know, he's not... I don't think he's going to be expected to be the ace of the rotation or anything, regardless of him being given the number 20. Um, but it's, it's sort of... I think his influence is going to be in a different way. It's not necessarily just going to be on the pitch. It's going to be a bit more than that. So it's... Yeah, as I say, this is a really exciting time for the team, and I hope, you know, you guys feeling the excitement as well. I think... We're on the, the cusp of something. I mean, I'm ready to be disappointed as well. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think this this also sort of validates Tatsunami's appointment as well. I mean, I was sceptical. I think many of us were sceptical. But you can't help but feel energised by his willingness to change things up and it's to, to be cutthroat. And, again, I think this is harking back to what I mentioned in my previous podcast is that he's got the belief of the front office, or I think maybe I said that at the beginning of this podcast, he's got the belief of the front office, I think, to sort of go on with this. He's not getting any resistance. He's able to just push through with his own sort of um, his vision. And I don't think there's much pushback for this because he is such a well-respected and well-liked person within the organisation. So I think that the Tatsunami effect inside the organisation has been quite large. And, you know, that's something to be praised. I mean, Tatanami is, you know, it's not without his problems, obviously. We, you know, we talked last off-season about, um, you know, not not being able to dye your hair or growing um, facial hair and that sort of stuff. It'll be interesting to see how El Monte goes with the facial hair rule. I don't know if they'll um, force him to shave it off or not, but uh, I know they make sort of special rules for foreign players sometimes, but um, see what happens there. But that's kind of like a, a boring part. But... Um, yeah, it was, yeah, get excited. Why not, you know? It's 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 the time to enjoy. It's a time of possibility. We don't know what's going to happen with this team, but there's enough about it that it's exciting. I mean, look, Okabayashi has been recognised by the league. He's getting best nine, golden glove. Like, he is, you know, the next Oshima as far as I'm concerned. And then you still have Oshima who's still performing very well for a 30, I think, 37-year-old now. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be sort of uh, optimistic about. So, you know, I, I haven't talked a lot about pitching in this offseason so far. I don't think there's any necessity to talk about pitching. It's it's okay. I can maybe run through the bullpen or whatever happens, but I don't think we're going to get a really good feel for that until the offseason. Oh, sorry, until spring training. Um, and this, I think there's enough sort of you know, enough resources there for the team to put together a good bullpen. I mean, Yario Rodriguez and Radel Martinez will still be staying. And, you know, that's the back end of your bullpen sewed up right there. And then guys like Tatsuya Shimizu and Kento Fujishima and these sort of guys are still, you know, youngish and still and doing quite well. And then, you know, there's also the veterans and then you throw in Fuku and Sobue, who probably aren't going to be as great a contributors this year as they have been in the past. But, um, you know, there's, there's lots of options there that they can pull on. And I think that's kind of a, a good thing uh, going forward in terms of the pitching. But first of all, let's just be, as I say, let's let's just um, enjoy 
this slightly surprising move where the Dragons have finally opened up their checkbook to do something. And I think that's largely down to Tatsunami um, being there and being a bit creative. And I think, as I say, saving a bit of money signing Almonte and uh, Calixte is part of that sort of just providing that cover, establishing the floor. Um, that's that's sort of, I think, a really smart move. Um, I'm really impressed with how the roster construction is going. Um, Tatsunami's obviously got a great vision going into this. He's turned me around. I'm a bit of a fan now. Um, obviously, the, <laughs> what happens on the field is what's what's most important, and we'll have to just wait and see what that will actually be. Um, for the time being, this will, this was this is me. I think I've talked for about half an hour. Ah, last minute, last minute thing. I just remembered. The dragons have released new uniforms. Way, I think this is. Uh, I think it seems to be like every more or less every time they get a new manager, they put out new uniforms. But um, the dragons' new uniforms are different, and they're they're sort of modelled on the old sort of Dodgers look from the nineteen nineties, so the Senichi Hoshino's uh, era. Now I've sort of I, I like the red numbering. Um, the, I think. I actually love the uniforms from that era, but I feel they've just mucked it up a little bit. Um, I don't hate it, but I also don't love it. Um, so if you look at the uniforms, um, I might post a link to them or something in the in the blog. But it's it's the blue. The blue is not the navy blue that I associate with the dragons, and it's just it puts me off. It doesn't blend as nicely with the red. Um, it just doesn't stand out in the same way. It looks sort of like a summer uniform. You know, it's sort of a bit lighter. It's a bit, um, what do you want to call it? Sort of like by the ocean breeze kind of stuff. Uh, the other thing that's, uh, that has changed, that's a significant change, is that the chunichi, uh, which used to be just sort of a block letter font across the uh, the chest, is now a sort of a, a calligraphied <laughs> uh, sort of scribble which is di now diagonal across the chest. So starting with a lower C up to a high I. Um, and it's not too bad. And I, I, from what I understand, this is something that they actually used in the 60s as well. But um, they've sort of brought it back. It's not terrible. I've actually gotten used to it. Um, I didn't like the look of it when I first saw it. But now I, I don't, don't really have a negative opinion about it. But essentially, yeah, the, um, the blue just doesn't look right. <laughs> Um, the, even the, um, the, the tunic, like the, was it the Hoshino era caps were a bit darker. Um, and I've, I've actually got a replica at home. Um, I quite like the, 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 it's just got the simple D. Um, but I mean, that's, that's fine. You don't have to go back to the D, but it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit washed out. Yeah. Anyway, have a look, see what you think. Um, you might like it. That's fine. I will probably still buy a uniform at some stage. Um, but it's just not doesn't quite grab me as uh, some other uniforms have in the past. I didn't mind the um, when Yoda came in and they changed the cut. Well, the uniforms up to this year, I quite liked those ones. I think they were quite clean. Uh, but these ones, yeah, I'm not, not a huge fan. But anyway, you, you have a look. See what you think. Um, that's, I think, about it. That's all the news I have for now. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed um, rattling off about uh, the possibilities. It's all exciting. You know, this is not dark or anything. <laughs> So um, I've also had coffee. That probably helps. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, I will talk to you next time. So there's some news. I Once again, I will try and get to those draft 
uh, analyses as soon as possible. It's just with these signings popping up and my research work getting in the way of things, it's been pushed to the back burner. Uh, anyway, anyway, thank you all so much for listening. I will catch you later. Ciao.